it's not about converting or changing somebody or feeling like they should be into interreligious dialogue or and I have had some challenging questions and I think a big part of what dialogue is is just acknowledging where the other person is at and I have to check myself because if something's very offensive I have to ensure that I don't start getting on the soapbox or start feeling angry and coming from that place. On this episode of Soul Food, we'll be throwing it back to one that we recorded for the Fade Feed podcast. This particular episode was recorded during the 2020 COVID lockdowns via Zoom, and so you'll notice some audio glitches. Nevertheless, we hope that you enjoy this episode. I'm Donny Velasco, and you're here with the Fade Feed Network. The Fade Feed is an initiative of the Catholic community in Greater Western Sydney, produced by the Institute for Mission, Diocese of Parramatta. To find out more, visit thefaithfeedparramatta.com.au. In the Faith Feed Network, we explore conversations about life, faith, and action in the world for those aged around mid-20s to 40s. We believe in facilitating this space where all are welcome, where questions are honored, and where human stories reveal our personal connection with the divine. And here with us today are our regulars, Kim Chong and Francis O'Callaghan. Hello. Hi guys, nice to be here. Bonjour. Thanks for having me. Kim works in interreligious dialogue and Francis works as part of an education team for faith and human development. So for anyone listening to this recording today, what makes it different is that we're recording once again via Zoom. We're in the middle of COVID lockdown here in Sydney. And so we wanted to still find a way to keep connecting in this conversation on the Fade Feed. The other difference for this particular episode is that we're going to be honing in and focusing on one of the two host stories. So we're actually going to find out a little bit more about Kim Chong. But before we jump into finding more about Kim, we're actually going to jump into a particular food question that I have for you both. Uh, what's one food story that comes to mind that sparks a bit of your childhood memories and really connects with uh, where you are now. What's a food story that sparks one of your childhood memories and connects with you now? Yeah, my mum wasn't the best cook, (laughs) I have to say. Like, it was not, you know, you've got these big Filipino families, Johnny, (laughs) with big feasts and what have you. You know, it's like it was very steak and three veg. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Well, I'll tell you um, what, any consolation, my mom used to do a rotation of um, boiled frankfurts, chicken nuggets. Oh, okay. That sounds like my house. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then every now and then the filet dish. So it wasn't, it wasn't daily. Okay, for sure. okay. Yeah. So yeah. My, um, as a child, probably my memories would be party food a lot. And there's two of them. One would be, um, and I think any adult my age will relate, there was toffees. My mother was a master at making the toffee and it was a it was sugar that was boiled and then you would add vinegar and then you would put it in a patty pan and it would go hard and you would and then you just suck on these toffees all day. Just a second running the recipe. And you could you could put <laughs> sprinkles on and I remember her boiling up you had to be very careful with how long you boiled the the sugar syrup because it could quickly turn could quickly burn but it was basically mm. from memory it was sugar water and vinegar. I, I don't know, and and watching that boil, it was quite quickly, and then you pour it in the patty pans. Now, some had soft toffees, which would mm-hmm. sort of stretch. they get stuck in your teeth and they'd stretch. Yeah. But my mum made the harder ones, 
and you could just eat them all day. Yeah. And um, I have very fond memories of watching that boil on the stove because it has a sort of transparent, opaque yeah. thing to it. And you put maybe hundreds and thousands on top or, or something oh, like that. Wow. <clears throat> I remember chocolate crackles. I remember White Christmas being made, that which was like a rice bubbly thing with, with I think it might be white chocolate on it and fruit, like mixed dried fruit would be in it. Yeah. Yeah. So as a what child, they would, of course, be some of the more memorable yeah. <laughs> foods. Now, the question is, would you be able to replicate that for your kids? I think so. I wouldn't because <laughs> of the amount of sugar that's in it. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, no, I should say Honey Joys was one thing my mum didn't make. She would do the chocolate crackles. So Honey Joys are cornflakes, mm-hmm. um, which are drizzled in a mixture of honey and butter. So oh. you put you put your cornflakes in a patty pan and you would drizzle this mixture of melted honey and butter and then you would bake them in the oven. Yeah. Now, I remember having them as a kid and from someone, else, someone else's party and thinking they were out of this world. And now my eldest daughter, Emily, mm-hmm. loves the – we call them honey joys, and she, so she loves them. So I make them for her. I've never made chocolate crackles. I've never made white Christmas, and I would never make toffee. <laughs> so um, just because of the amount of – you know, yeah. I mean, it's a different era now, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, and maybe it's more boring and I'm less fun, but <laughs> – Do you reckon the cornflakes oh, – sorry, the honey joys is the origin of the Kellogg's um, – Crunchy nut cornflakes? You mean is the Kellogg's crunchy nut cornflake a... Based a, a, on the honey joy. Maybe. Who knows? Interesting. Could be. Interesting. Yeah, the clusters. Those yeah. Things. yeah. Whoever right. that product developer was was like, oh, remember the honey joy? That's your <laughs> yeah. honey joy in a box. That's right. That's right. Oh. How about yourself, Francis? Um, is, there a, is there a fond food um, dish that's iconic of, of your family? Oh, I've just gone back through Nostalgia Road with uh, with Kim. Um, I don't know if there's a separate. I don't know if there's a separate po- uh, podcast, but I've just yep. been absolutely like uh, inundated with these images of my mum making um, thematic chocolate mouldings. So in the at Christmas and Easter, there were these plastic mould sheets that you could buy, and she she'd melt the chocolate and she'd pour them in, and then they'd be these just these chocolate things, you know, like what well, like you would normally get when you go to the shops and the, it's covered in foil, except mm. there's no foil. And she would spend. It'd be a more, Christmas theme. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Christmas okay. theme, Easter oh, theme. So yeah, there'd be eggs so and trees that's and so fun. you know bunnies and and whatnot, depending on depending on what season we were in. Yeah. Um, and the, but the the volume of stuff that was easily like eighty percent sugar, um, and and like five percent glazed cherries, you know, uh, and you just you 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 you're eating all this stuff, going, this is just amazing, it's so, like yeah. I love it, and then you and then you make it for yourself as an adult, and you go, this is easily one of the most unhealthy experiences that I'm going <laughs> to give my kids this this season. Um, so yeah, I think I think the those moments, those like those kind of really, really kind of visceral, like not visceral, those those really beautiful um, moments in your past where your mum and dad baked something, or, or mostly your mum. But that's a, yeah, those memories of of special treats and personalised cakes. My mum used to make cake, like make the cake for us every every birthday. We used to go through one of those cake books, the decorating books. We oh, yeah, the like cake. the Women's Weekly Kids. Yeah. yeah, I had one of those cake books. I can't <laughs> say my mum ever made something out of it, but we love to look through it. Yes. <laughs> and I think, I think 
there are times when I know the convenience, and I, I guess this is the bit that kind of sticks with me, the convenience of buying a cherry ripe as opposed to the kind of the slice that has the glazed cherries and the coconut um, is, is obviously much more, much, much, it's much simpler. But the, the journey of creating something that connects me back to my childhood mm. and is something that I pass on to my children. So mm -hmm. my, my, my eldest daughter makes um, uh, chocolate, uh, gluten-free chocolate fudge brownies and she makes honey oat slice. And mm. these are all these things that, that we made as, as, as kids that we've kind of handed over. And she, she's a master of it. She's 12. She's only just oh, turned wow. 12. And she's she's becoming a master of the of the dessert. She made an apple pie, um, yeah. uh, last weekend, and it's you know, and it's all of these beautiful things that both my wife and I's childhood, which were different, were yeah. kind of it's all kind of synthesising in the experience of our of our kids. Um, I reckon you can chart it, and you can kind of show that you know the development of democracy is aligned with. Sugar consumption <laughs> Sugar, sugar has built the West. That's great. Yeah, or at least, or at least the, the kind of the oral hygiene industry. That's right. <laughs> yes. That's right. And now, Kim, in getting to know you a bit more, just wanted to reiterate for our audience that you work with Father Pat and Ryan in what's known as the Columban Center for Christian Muslim Relations, and that's based in Parramatta Diocese, specifically in Blacktown. Um, so in your particular line of work, Kim, just as a way of getting to, to know a bit about you and your role in, uh, the Columban Center for Christian Muslim Relations or CCCMR, what would you say is the general mindset that you bring to your particular work? Uh, I think for me intentionally, I mean, I don't know if it always comes across this way, but I really hope, um, I think as a friendliness. I think there's a friendliness and an openness. Um, I, I, I think that's what I would like to offer off the bat. Mm. And just an interest, you know, when you're meeting new people for the first time and um, working in interreligious dialogue, you're meeting people from all walks of life. And it's just maintaining an openness, really, and a friendliness and... and, and um, just, just, I don't want to say the word curiosity because it's kind of a little intellectual, but I feel mm. I've just, you know, just an interest and an openness of what I can learn and discover about um, other people and, and who they are. So <clears throat> I think I'm pretty friendly. I hope I am anyway. At least mm. that's the intention I, I would want to come across. I can actually be quite a shy person. I, mm. I can be, I am, um, I can be quite an introvert and quite shy, but I also thrive off social interaction and mm. um, really enjoy that. Um, yeah. But it can take me a while. It can take, like most people, it can take me a while to warm up and and I could be a little reserved initially, but I'm, I'm hoping I'm always friendly. Mm. Mm. In the interreligious space, um, when you find that you're, you know, you're recognising that there's a bit of a shyness in yourself, um, mm. uh, how, how do you get yourself into that space where you can be... Um, are friendly or open to, to other people? What's some of the things that you try to do, whether it's an attitude thing or I don't know how, if there's a way to warm up, so to speak? Yeah, yeah and I don't know how accurate that is because I think I, I, it's really hard to look in or look at yourself objectively, mm, like to mm. sort of step out and see yourself objectively. But I think, oh, I don't know. I, I think I just try to go with it really. And mm. I imagine mm. it's probably pretty intuitive. You probably feel 
it's, I think it's so. hard to name because it's more of a more of a feeling. Um, yeah, so. and it's not necessarily conscious. I am I am genuinely very interested in people. I really yeah. like people and and find humanity and human nature really interesting mm. and curious. So I think that probably helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Already. I mean, as I ask the question, it's a bit it's a bit tricky. If one of the things is um, just thinking about it, if one of the things is to be open, <laughs> you can't necessarily then go into a conversation and have an agenda on how to be open. It's kind of no a conundrum. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. It is mm. a bit intuitive, I think. And it it's very energy-like because mm-hmm. I, I would hope anyway, if I think sit here and think about it, you are sort of tapping into the other person's energy. You know, you vibe, you vibe, you're vibing off somebody right. and, and, you, right. and yourself as well and where you might fit, you know. So if you feel that someone might be uncomfortable or um, themselves feeling a little unsure when you walk into a room mm. full of people... Um, I think for me, it's about putting some, picking up on that and putting them at ease and being able to relate the, to that. Yep. And so checking in with yourself and see how at ease you are and if you're not. And sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes mm. you're just, I don't want to say a false way, but you, you are sort of just having to present in some ways mm. because of the context of a room that you're in, you know. But I hope sometimes I can tap in beneath that yep. when I'm talking to somebody and you know, and are genuinely interested and ask questions. And, yeah. and so I think that's, that's, I don't know if it's an intention. I think it's just the experience anyway. And it can be quite, you know, that can be quite enjoyable. It's a bit of a penny drop moment when you mentioned vibe. Um, Cause then I think when I'm in a new space, I, I tend to respond out of nervous energy. <laughs> and so yeah. I have, I have some quick go-tos um, and I don't know if I've, I've done this and now I'm giving away all my, my secrets. <laughs> but I don't know if I've done this intentionally or not, or if this is just me um, acting out of my nervousness. But I often tend to ask um, a person's name, or I might ask about culture um, or, or background um, or something like that. Um, but yeah, those are some of the things that I find that I default to of, of late when I'm at a... Um, well, they're just icebreakers. Yeah, which yeah. Are, which right. are good, you that's know. Right. That's and right. that's, um, that's, that's a good thing to do and have, I think. I feel like you laugh. I feel like anyone who's able to laugh in a conversation is is much much more open to being friendly and, and engaging. And I think that's probably, that, I always thought that was one of my my telltale signs. If someone was smiling in a conversation and laughing mm-hmm. with their you know with their with all features all of their features, and I think you do that. Like there's a warmth. There's a warmth. Oh, that's to you. nice. Thank I, you. I don't know whether you are as as kind of strategic. In, as as Donny in um, oh come on you know, this guy this guy's just cracking all of these like okay all right action so, one you know so, what's the etymology of Francis is it from no, France no, don't, I don't even know oh you know just yeah, O'Callaghan that's Irish right yeah, yeah I've heard yeah, it all yeah, before that's right that's right, uh, that's right. You know, <laughs> the secret's out the secret's out. <laughs> I'm like this binary conversation as soon as I enter a room. <laughs> What's your etymology? Where are you from culturally? Oh, jeez. Uh, um, are, are you a any... Beatles or a, or a Stones man? You know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What's some of the, the things that you found are um, things you're really conscious of as you go into an interreligious event? And I wonder if you could use an example of an event perhaps. Um, where you know that people are looking at yourself, at uh, Patrick and at Ryan, your, your work colleagues, um, and they're seeing, okay, there's the office or the, um, the Christian, uh, sorry, the Center for Christian Muslim Relations. 
um, is there things that you're conscious of in that space that um, on, on how you present and, and what you do and say? Well, um, if I'm visiting a mosque, which I um, generally do during um, Ramadan or, or big events, I mean, clearly COVID's had a lot to do with that. We haven't been mm. able to do that this year. But last year, you know, I in my car, I keep a pair of socks and I keep a scarf. Uh, so, okay. um, so if I do find myself in a mosque or visiting a mosque, I'm not caught out with um, the appropriate clothing. So, um, and if I go to a mosque, I don't generally go into the main area because mm-hmm. the men and women are separated. So I will go um, to a separate room. So, um, yeah, so I will go up, you know, I might, it might be up the back and up some stairs and your mm. room and there's some glass and you can see down into the mosque area mm-hmm. and you can see um, the prayers being held, for instance, and the men um, praying and the women also praying, which is that prostrate sort of position. They'll stand up and then bow, um, bow down on their knees mm. and put their forehead to the ground and things like that. Um, so when I go into a mosque, I, I cover my head, I take off my shoes. Um, so I follow sort of all the etiquette that's mm. required. And, and I will sit quite, you know, we had during the Christchurch massacre, for instance, in March last year, um, in that period of of mourning, I would attend the mosque as would Patrick and Ryan, my colleagues at the Centre for Christian Muslim Relations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just being a presence for them, a presence of solidarity. Um, I would be wearing a badge with my name on it and mm-hmm. with the Centre's name on it so that they could see um, who I was. Um, a lot of women would recognise that uh, who I was through that. Yep. Um, and I would just sit very quietly at the back mm-hmm. um, with my head bowed. I don't participate in the way they pray, pray obviously, mm-hmm. um, because that's not the way I, I would do it. But I can, as a Christian, I, I can sit in the back and say my own Christian prayers mm-hmm. in solidarity with these women as they're praying. Yeah. And, and, um, and it was just a, a, a presence of support and solidarity for them. When I attended that, for instance, I was on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I didn't really know anyone there. I might have recognised the odd face, but not really. And they're all in a period of mourning. Um, so I'm very much there on my own up the back. Yeah. But there is there is always this, um, and and just I'm just being with them in this moment and feeling their experience, and 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 being in that. Sp- that space with them and holding that space with them. It can be a very profound experience. And I, I would have uh, a couple of women who may have noticed me or noticed that I was a little different, mm-hmm. um, look at my badge or acknowledge that I was there. And, and they're very appreciative of that, um, which is, you know, very moving and rewarding for me, even though I'm there, hopefully for them as well so mm-hmm. first and first and foremost it's solidarity it's, it's just solidarity and love and support yeah well no i just I, I mean i find the the space that you that you have what i what i loved most about what you described was the way that you were able to be to honor and to respect the sacred places um but you were still able to maintain your own sense of identity and your own kind yeah. of spiritual identity yeah um and that harmony I think is a real gift uh, because I think that in some cases encouraging people to to experience other people where they're at 
um, whilst not losing yourself in it um, is some, is a gift for both people. Uh, and I and I don't know that we have enough of those because I think people are often afraid that if they turn up to a mosque or if they turn up to a to a, a, a temple or if they turn up to an ashram, then they have to pretend. Um, and I think what you did was really authentic, and it didn't it didn't pretend. It was just, you know, I I Thank made you. sure I knew who I was. I made sure they knew who I was, and I was able to celebrate the sacredness of the moment in my own way. Yes, it's exactly what it is. You ce- we all, we all, it's celebrating a sacredness in our own ways, and we all do it differently. Even with our own traditions, you could say we do it differently because we're, we're different. So um, you, you hope to... I mean, it's not to say it's not without some awkwardness and some nervousness because, you know, I have to think about how I'm dressed or not dressed and... You know, um, I did notice the first time I went to the mosque, even though I did have a head covering, that they actually have them at the door. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so that's reciprocal you, in terms of. Yeah, well, no, it's not for people like me. It's it's for Muslim women who might oh. be in a rush with their kids or what have you, and right. and and need need to put some more coverings on and things like that. So, um, I, I'm not sure they would have many visitors outside of. Uh, outside of Islam mm-hmm. coming through. Clearly, it's it's a part of what I do at the centre, so I'm, I'm used to that. But even other sort of temples that you visit, um, I've been to the Gurdwara, um, I've been to Buddhist temple. Um, my grandmother and auntie were Buddhist, so that had a lot to do with that. But um, So it's just in... So there can be... You do have to think about it. You do have to prepare to ensure that you are respecting this sacred place and the way people practice in that sense but it can be really enlightening and surprising and even dare I say fun Mm. to to have a have a look into other people's way of living in their daily life that you would not normally do because you're not a Hindu or you're not a Muslim you know so it's um it's very enriching it's like entering another person's world a little bit that you might not otherwise get an opportunity to do so it's also opportunity i've I've learned a lot and i'm very grateful gives you a greater understanding of the world that we live in one of the things that i i wanted to ask about was you know what do you do in some of those challenging moments where you are you know i mean we, we even within our community we've got we've got um opportunities for for dialogue with different people and not all of them are going to be smooth how do you how do you i suppose how do you see yourself mm. um i suppose in the same way of being church in those types of relationships where things aren't necessarily smooth do you have any specific example where it might be smooth where not <laughs> where it might or be would smooth. you write where it might not be smooth oh, okay you... uh, i think mostly i think you you're 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 a mid professional circle i imagine uh, connects yes. with other professional circles from from kind of from Muslim communities dialogue and, and from dialogue. So the people yes. that you're engaged with professionally yes. are, are yes. interested in that. Yes. Um, but there yeah. are probably, as within yes. our own community, people who are less interested in that. Yes. And I was just yes, wondering what your kind of encounters and how you, I suppose, how you yeah. are be church in that space. Yeah. Um, to be church in that space, and that's actually a big part of the job because you do we, we do mix in a lot of circles or have partners in different faiths who who are very much for interreligious dialogue, and that's why we work together. So you are kind of working with people similar sensibilities, and and that can make it easier. Um, but also, you know, through our educational arm of things, you can meet people who this this area might be new to, or they have some resistance to, or even some outright. 
um, defensive um, feelings mm. about it. And I think for me, um, it's not about converting or changing somebody or feeling like they should be into interreligious dialogue or it's, it's, um, and I have had some challenging questions and I think, you know, a big part of what dialogue is, is just acknowledging where the other person is at. Mm -hmm. And even if that person is in a space that you feel is a little bit alienating or defensive or angry, um, I think it's just meeting that person in that place and acknowledging that. So, and, you know, because I could, you know, that's also dialogue. The, the biggest part of dialogue is those people who have the, the resistance. Mm. And you have to accept that they aren't in a place to be there for, for whatever reason and may not. And um, I, I couldn't judge that person or hope to change them or shift their attitudes or force feed them something that they're not ready for or don't want to hear. I just feel like I need to be an accepting ear in that space too. Now, it doesn't mean I agree with what they say. Um, and I have to check myself because if something's very offensive, um, I have to ensure that I don't start getting on the soapbox or start feeling angry and coming from that place mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I'm basically perpetuating the opposite of what we're trying to do through interreligious dialogue, which is to bring people together to talk to each other and to build bridges so I also need to do that with those who have some real resistance yeah. or fear um, or anger. And, and a lot of that fear and anger can be rightly justified too. Um, I'm, again, I'm not saying that it, it justifies not having dialogue. I can't, I can't do that because dialogue is all about healing in my eyes um, mm. and moving on from heartaches and uh, of the past. It's easier said than done, but... Um, so, and some people just aren't ready for that or they're just in too much pain or they're too frightened and, um, it's not my place to convince them otherwise. It's, it's to practice the dialogue with them in our differences because we would have differences. Mm. So, um, you know, if someone has preconceived ideas and stereotypes of somebody of another faith that I feel is, is unjustified and cruel, um, it's, you know, I, I guess it's just me. I guess I just try to understand where that might be coming from. And I do think a lot of it comes from fear. So um, I just, you, you know, it's, it's really, it's hard. Um, but you also just try to relay accurate information as well, because a lot of it is based on stereotypes or what they see in the media, which is often sensationalised and, mm -hmm. and unjust and what have you. So it's also just about relaying better, better information. Yeah, I was just um, uh, curious with that, um, Kim, when you mentioned, well, the two things that I, I picked up on was this uh, ongoing sense of meeting people where they're at um, and showing, uh, just with your final comment there, showing um, an, an understanding, um, especially when it comes to more of those, those tense conversations. Um, in addition to, you know, your, your personal principles that might um, uh, evoke that kind of approach with people, um, uh, in yourself, is there something from uh, the center or, or where you work um, that's been a bit of a principle that um, uh, kind of encourages yourself, uh, Ryan, your coworker, or 
or Father Patrick, your, your boss, to, um, to carry that same value of meeting people where they're at? Is there like a, maybe not one principle, but is there a, a series of principles or stories um, in, say, uh, sacred scripture that might inspire that perspective of meeting people where they're at? I mean, our, our slogan is building bridges between believers of different religions. We've just developed the Sydney Statement, which is being, it's being launched in October. Um, and we've spent a lot of time developing values and principles and actions um, for this. It's an interfaith charter. It was developed by young adults. And um, so, I mean, so it's very extensive and it's, it, it runs deep. Um, but for me, it's always the, the term dialogue. I mean, we talk about interreligious dialogue mm-hmm. and what that dialogue means. And for me, it's that relational experience. It's that um that place where that space between two people, it's trying to rediscover that space between that relational sense of, of being and the spirit of that, that, you know, that would be the principle, I think. It's really hard to pinpoint any one thing because yeah. I think yeah. we're living it, you know, myself and Father Patrick and Ryan, we're living it every day together in mm-hmm. the center you have days where it's it's um you're hitting the target and there mm-hmm. are other days where you're not so much mm-hmm. whether it's for yourself or amongst ourselves or in the work that we do we're always working for it but for me personally it is definitely I, I always come back to the term dialogue and and what that means for me and it is that relational experience and that's where I, I you, you hope to meet that person even though you don't agree with them or in fact could really upset you in things that they say, it's recognising that they're human too and, you know, how we can hold that together Mm. because I want it to be a positive experience. They come to a course or something and then they talk to you after that and they share with you or they open with you what they really think or feel. As a fellow Catholic, for instance, if I have another Catholic person who's done one of our courses on, on interreligious dialogue or Islam or something and they come up, to me afterwards and they have some grievances of the mm. practice or what have you, um, you know, I have to be kind and hold that space for that person then and hopefully relay some accurate information that doesn't feel like it's being forced or that they're wrong or that yeah. to feel that way. No, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for um, for the way that you had approached kind of sharing these stories because I think it, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful part of our tradition, the way that we we're called to recognize God in all things mm. and the way you are, are uh, I suppose making space for God in all things in your in your professional and personal life life um, is is really a great example um, mm. because I think that uh, you know the the work that we do when we think of all of God's people you, mm. you you're really ma- manifesting that in a way that allows people to see that they're all of God's people. I try. I don't always get it right, but that's that's the purpose anyway. And thank you, Francis. It's really nice to hear. Um, I, I do want to add, just going back to that, when when somebody does open to you in that way um, and says certain things that <laughs> might seem a little shocking, and they and um, the, the, the interesting for me is I still am always surprised <laughs> when I hear um, some of the more fearful comments um, but that person's come up to me as a fellow Catholic and Christian and I might never have met this person before, but they're, they're trusting me and sharing 
how they really feel about something. Mm -hmm. So I have to respect that as well. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, there can be there can be times where I can start to feel myself getting a little hot under the collar. I can't deny that too because I don't like what I'm hearing. Um, but I think on a personal level, in 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 those instances that I've had, and there've been there've only been a few, not many at all. Um, it, it's it's um it is about accurate information and and trying to shift show a different perspective and for me personally it's also just about um planting seeds really because i can't i can't force this person to believe a certain thing or to shift a, a perspective they're, they're going to have their beliefs and they're going to feel very strongly about them some of them and some of them don't want to move leave from them they can get very attached to them and that's not my job to make that better and and it, and it, I, I wouldn't be doing dialogue if that was what i was doing for that person so it is really just having having some information that's loving and accurate and planting some seeds and the fact that that person's there in the first for me the fact that that person's here in the first place is already a step kim you don't have to uh, have an answer to this question which is to end with a but a sort of question. <laughs> when you think of your life and faith now, uh, what's one or two questions that you currently have in this season of your life that you don't have to have an answer for? What's one or two questions? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, mm. I have one just to, to kind of um, see if this triggers something for yourself. Why are our noses pointing this way? No, no, that's, that's a ridiculous <laughs> question. Yourself, my mom doesn't do it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, I was thinking a little broader than that. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Go Johnny, oh, two questions this season in my life. Oh, I mean, I guess for me, it's just a practice. It's just a daily practice of being in touch with God. I think it's so easy to not to not do that because you get so absorbed in your own lives and problems and issues and um, desires and disappointments and those sorts of things. So I, I guess, I mean, I'm, in, I'm middle-aged now. It is a transition. Um, I guess I have questions as to whether I will feel a little more settled and calmer about things because when you're young, you have a lot of energy and... Mm. I mean, not that I'm old, but, <laughs> you know, I'm in the mid, my midlife. It, beca- it very much becomes a focus on children too. So I have two children, 10 and 7. So a lot of your energy and questions sort of get transitioned onto them and your hopes for them, I suppose. And, you know, mummy worries and concerns that they'll be okay and that they have opportunity. And I'm hearing two broad questions great. there about transition and legacy. So... Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Transition legacy. That's that's a nice thing. Yeah, they're they're always. I think maybe I'm not so conscious about them, but when you put it that way, they are definitely questions that sit with you. So thank you again, uh, Kim and Francis, for creating this segment. It was really a a treat to have you in this space. Thank you for having me. It's been great to be here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Food. 
Don't forget to like and follow us on Spotify or on your preferred listening platform. This podcast is produced by Pastoral Formation, Mission Enhancement Team in the Diocese of Parramatta. We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via the contacts in our show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast. Thank you.